and that was rather traffic times again because Rico had a, like a big time bad infection in his ass. So there was like <laughs> some sort of a, like a meat eating bacteria oh in, 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 in his anus. <laughs> <laughs> Should you and be saying this in public? <laughs> is this well? Yeah, yeah, I mean, is this public knowledge? Yeah, yeah, he's been cracking. He, he cracked a lot of jokes back then, but <laughs> it was it was so so pra- like uh, visible and and painful that all our first meetings, uh, Riku had to lay on the floor, so he, he couldn't uh, sit. My guest this week is Risto Gulasma, who has had an extremely varied and successful career as an entrepreneur. TV producer, executive, coach, and consultant. Risto has been involved in some of the biggest names in Finnish television. He's also the founder of TubeCon, one of the biggest YouTube events in the world. He's looking forward to sharing some stories with us now, so let's get right to it. Here's Risto. Thank you for joining me, Risto. Thank you for having me. Tell me, where are you right now? I'm in my Amsterdam home and uh, watching the sunny blue sky <laughs> from from my room. Yeah, it looks so nice. It's a spring is on. Beautiful sunny Amsterdam. I'm I'm so. I wish I was there. I'm in beautiful yeah. snowy Helsinki. Yeah, they both have their good sides, right? Exactly. That's what it's all about. We have to see the good side of everything. Okay, so let me ask you, Risto, because you have so many projects. So when you meet someone these days, somebody that you don't know in Amsterdam, and they ask you, "What do you do?" How do you answer? <laughs> yeah, I think the 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 answer is that I'm. I'm a portfolio entrepreneur and uh, and a coach. Sustainable success—that's what I'm I'm uh, creating together with my clients. Okay, cool. Um, I would love for you to take me back to the beginning because I know you've had a super varied and exciting career. So you didn't start off as an entrepreneur, would you say? You started your career in media and production. Yeah. So. I think I, I've been through the kind of classic creative path where uh, I studied quite. Um, I had a clear clear goal to become a producer, and I, I always want, enjoyed being behind the scenes, working with talents, creating experiences, um, and and that's always been the natural place for me. I always enjoyed let the stars shine and 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 build the build the um, opportunities and and uh, productions around stars and and great ideas in general so yeah i studied i graduated i started to work at events mainly first mainly in helsinki and um, then i worked started to work also on tv and during those early 2000 i was introduced to the dudesons dudes on it yeah can you first describe to me dudes on it what is dudes on it yeah the dudesons are a bunch of childhood friends mm-hmm. who started to film 
their reckless uh, stunts and their their very kind of uh, original humor and and uh, on VHS. It started yeah, on VHS, yeah. right? With VHS, and it grew through. Uh, 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 it became a hit on a small cable channel, and then it grew into a, a media empire. <laughs> mm. So ca- from cable TV to it became a national TV show, and then a movie, and yeah, many other and the series. Merch- yeah, like the full blown multi platform brand with merchandising and. And um, you know, whatnot. They've been really monetizing monetizing the brand so well, and and um, you know, very unfinished entrepreneurial yes. thinking. Actually, yes, very. Um, okay, and can you briefly describe your role with the with the Dudesons? So I started as a tour manager and then uh, I was the jack of all trades. I was the first outsider. So because I had studied production, I, I brought in a bit of a new, new approach and more kind of, um, um, <laughs> it's a professional approach. We were young and of course we, we just, we, it was a constant learning by doing exercise. But uh, yeah, so I, I worked as um, tour manager, then producer, and then executive producer, and and a brand developer and whatnot. It was really a um, a great great house to do whatever you wanted, and and really exercising the jack of all trades uh, style. Do you remember the first meeting with Yarno? Or yeah, yeah, with Yarno, it was. It was cool. We immediately hit off, and it, there was a mutual understanding from the get-go. And then the actual meeting with the boys was super funny. We were in Gallio, and and there was a, a a little bar where they arrived with their style, with their old car, and all all of them had suffering some kind of an injury. So they were like. A, gallery of injuries like a uh, cast in a hand and one had a cast i think you had a cast in a leg and yeah their their style yeah did you ever think about like why do you think young men were attracted to that kind of entertainment <laughs> like you know injuring each other because i know 1999 like fight club came out and that was a huge thing like why do you think people were so drawn to it like what was the attraction yeah it's a good it's a very good question and and um i think getting hurt where it was not the like the main thing obviously yeah, that's not the goal yeah so uh you know just doing their stunts with their on, on their own terms and and uh those stunts were getting bigger and bigger all the time and of course the risks got bigger and and then things happened but what was actually really interesting throughout me working seven years with the dudes and when, when I was in charge of the filming, there were absolutely no injuries. That's, that's still, still unexplained because there were, you know, high risks all the time. Only I got injured once <laughs> because they, we were somewhere, we were like filming in Lapland and they were doing a they did a prank to me where they attacked with this um, 
uh, like um, um, fire rockets. Like, <laughs> oh my and, gosh! And uh, I I fell down from a patio of a cottage, and I I hit my back quite badly. Uh, there was like a fracture in in my in my backbone, wow. and that was the moment where we we made a deal that this was the last prank they do for me, and <laughs> and uh, oh. <laughs> so. That that was uh, a close call, but you know you are young. You are just living living the dream, you know. That's kind of your initiation. <laughs> Now you're part of the gang. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So that that was the only moment I I had a kind of a close call with them. Yeah. We there were some accidents, of course. Like in one, we we did we did one. TV series where we we negotiated a like um, um abandoned house from the city hall of Seinäjoki and we were the good boys and and negotiated it without the pri- uh, payment to that we can use it as a, a location to shoot the the whole summer mm. and I think it it took like a few days and uh, I was not on the set I got a call from. From the boys that yeah the house is now burning, <laughs> so the whole big farmhouse uh, got in flames and burned. Oh. And there were like the 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 um, fire brigade came and we were obviously you know we got really bad press and the city hall was tracked into the case and but somehow somehow we uh, managed it. <laughs> and and uh, but that that was the kind of the stakes were always like this: what's gonna happen, who's gonna hurt, what's gonna br- break down. So um, you 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 enjoy it at least for a few years. Yeah, something that a lot of us non-fans don't know is that yeah, Dudesons started before Jackass, right? But yeah, to the international scene, they kind of came. Maybe after Jackass, so we didn't realize that they had been going, and and the main difference was, Dudesons would describe themselves as a stunt team, or you know they they did sports, they did actual extreme sports like snowboarding and, mm. but Jackass, you're they're trying to get injured, like some mm. some of the early Jackass. I'm not sure if you've seen some of this early Jackass stuff. They're actually trying to get injured, like they they had. Mm ridiculous scenes where you would try to i don't know electrocute your balls or something whereas the dudeson mm. started off as actual you know you guys were actually doing extreme sports like real sports would you say yeah. that was the main yeah, difference but, yeah they all all of them had a, a very um prolific background in action sports yes. and and uh, also in in combat board sports so i think that was a kind of a Um, very organic yeah. thing, but talking about balls, the balls were always on the line. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were, well, we when we we went to Cannes to the TV film market, and uh, that was like the beginning of going international. And uh, I re- I still remember quite clearly that Yuka had uh, like a mouse trap with him. Oh and- my god! I don't want to hear the rest. <laughs> <laughs> a mouse trap and testicles. I don't. Yeah, indeed. And he did it live in this, like, um, in in proper TV meetings, like with the executives. Oh. And that then started to create um, a bit of um, 
uh, reputation around us, which was obviously awesome because that was the goal. What year was this? Out. Uh, maybe 2004 or five, something mm. like this. So he was going around Cannes pitching this TV show and in the, <laughs> in the pitch meetings, he would, well, what would he do? Can you describe it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a mousetrap with him. And uh, when, when the moment was right, he, he pulled his testicles on the table and oh. slammed them with the mousetrap. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, the reactions of these TV executives were quite hilarious. Well, is that how they sold the idea? Did they? I hope they made some sales with that tactic. Yeah, yeah, that's where the the international sales started. So uh, <laughs> we we were definitely uh, recognized. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay, so that's how you started your career uh, as a producer, and then you went on to produce the movie. Is that correct? Yeah, I was also co co executive producer of the the actual movie and uh, multiple tv seasons and and then the jackass guys came in later yeah they came in i i did something i have i did something else so i was like a couple of years out and then i came back mm. yeah so i went to do events and um yeah i got got uh, involved with the um, uh, Pluto Finland was the company and, and Mikolaisti hired me there and we one of our biggest pro, pro, uh, productions we were taking care of the um, the host city strategy for for uh, the Eurovision Song Contest in Helsinki so we, we were producing all the events in Helsinki during the, the Eurovision mm. so that was the lordy times mm. and then I went then I went back to work with the Dudesons, and that was actually a really interesting time because we, we obviously had grown up a bit, mm. and boys had came, they had returned from US, and there was a moment where the brand and the turnover was was uh, skyrocketing, but there was a problem with the with the uh, viewers so in the finnish tv the the u.s show didn't did not perform that well mm. so we need we we ended to a point where we really needed to reinvent uh the dudes and i think that that that's kind of where where the magic started to happen so we we had a rather like a small time window to to create the next chapter of the dudes mm. and um it was a really interesting process where we then uh, ended up to uh create the uh the dudes home invasion mm. Talo. Mm. and and that took the whole brand to 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 whole new trajectory because we we then uh started to engage with families and kids mm. And 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 that was obviously a big shift in the kind of value value mindset as well. So we created quite meaningful show where we we asked Finnish families who had a challenge or a dream to tell about that to us, and then Dutzens went in, stayed overnight, and uh, solved the problem or made their dream come true. So really meaningful project really propelling the the Dutzen's brand and also also their uh, interest to a whole whole new i would say a bit more mature direction yeah definitely. Hurt, getting get, getting hurt or doing stunts were, were not enough anymore 
you know, it was the kind of a, a new new zone, which was super interesting. Uh, a lot of emotions uh, from from the families who we visited, and also personally, it was really interesting because you know I run the I run the script writing and and the formatting and and packaging, and because we were late with the delivery, then channel said that okay, this is great, do this. Here's the money. And then we were too close to the summer. All uh, directors were booked. So there was a fun moment. Jarno uh, just watched me and I risked, okay, you need to direct this as well. And I was like, man, I never directed anything like this. <laughs> and uh, I took the challenge. I, I think it was the best summer I've maybe ever had. Going in with the fresh, fresh approach, new concept. We had a crew over 20 people. We stayed for real overnight. Like we, we stayed um, as guests in, in families around Finland. And we actually did really meaningful stuff. So the strategy was that first day we pushed, the, especially the moms, we pushed them on the brink of nervous breakdown. And then on the second day, we start to solve the mess. <laughs> and then in the end, there, there was always a beautiful surprise, which made... I think almost in every episode, the the family was in tears, and and uh, we we did so much good stuff, and it really impacted all of us. It was really beautiful, beautiful um, summer to to travel throughout the Finland. And I think the show continued two three seasons after that. Did you want to like consciously change the way they were viewed to make them more family friendly? Um, I think I was also in the kind of phase of um, bit of like a spiritual awakening, and and I I also got way more interested about self development, and mm. uh, that that definitely reflected um, the 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 development. Um, yeah, so I I think I was I had a bit of a challenge to continue the old way and and of course uh there was a need to evolve from from the Dutchen side as well but yes i wanted to do more meaningful stuff and i think ever since i've been um you know that's been the the red thread through through all everything i do i try to create meaningful change in this world so so that was also a bit of a kind of a graduation to to this path and the the earliest stuff was huge around the world um but how come why do you think the dude sonnet tulit talon why do you think that didn't get translated around the world as as much yeah it's interesting they they tried that they um developed it into um Dutton's home invasion and uh, there was uh, several attempts in LA, close calls mm. with uh, with uh, big talents to to kind of uh, do the thing in in US market as a format. Mm. So they they developed it into a format, but uh, it never got picked up. That that's you know format business is so weird. Yeah. You, you never know what works where. And it's also, do you think it's a little bit sad that the idea of I don't know personal development and 
helping communities and families that doesn't sell as well as you know damaging mm -hmm. your testicles yeah i think there's always an audience always um niche audiences and and the the kind of the tv show business evolves all the time it's obviously a reflection of of the current times current changes in society um and then there are some old formats that still for some weird reason like big brother is still doing good uh when it comes to uh viewers viewers so it's it's really um um mystical place this uh tv format um world and uh you never know and you may have the next hit um in overnight mm. okay let's move on to mad ventures can you describe for those that don't know what is mad ventures so mad ventures is the most traveled finnish tv show it's a it's a travel show um made by Riku Rantala and Una Milanov and it's a you know two guys no crew traveling around the world mm. um during the packpacker times mm. and uh it was sold to to a national geographic and travel channel mm. when you say it was the most traveled do you mean it's the finnish show that has been sold to the most number of countries Yeah, it's the. I think it's still holding the record of um, the most um, traveled Finnish TV show. Mm. Um, I thought that was the Dudesons. No, I think National Geographic really made it okay. um, travel all over the world. Wow! But still, you've been involved with two of the most popular Finnish shows of all time. It's safe to say. Well, I was not involved with the with the Mad Ventures. When they did their travel show, yeah. I came a bit later and I uh, I produced the Matt Cook and then I co-founded Doc Ventures together with with uh, Riku and Tuni. Can you tell me like your first meeting with Riku and or how how did that come about? Yeah, there was already a connection. Uh, the Dutons production company Rabbit Films was uh, distributing the the. Um, the international series or adventures uh there that's international season so uh there was a collaboration where where the adventures um was working together with rabbit films and their uh contacts in la and um yeah i think b back then i i felt time to to move forward and i i always respected Riku and Tuna a lot, and I jumped in when they had done their big tour. So, and that was rather traffic times again because Riku had a, like a big time bad infection in his ass. So there was like <laughs> some sort of a, like a meat eating bacteria oh in. In, in his anus. <laughs> <laughs> Should you and, be uh, saying this in public? <laughs> is this well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is this public knowledge? Yeah, yeah. He's been cracking. He he cracked a lot of jokes back then, but <laughs> it was it was so so like uh, visible and and painful that all our first meetings, uh, Riku had to lay on the floor, so <laughs> he, he couldn't uh, sit, and uh, he 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 got it from I don't know. Was it Papua? I think he got it somewhere from a jungle, mm. and 
he he ended up to this horrible uh, chain of um, surgeries, and it really took long, like way too long, that that um, that got healed. So during those times, we when we started, we did first a very successful pop up restaurant. So we did um, Matt Cook show, which was the kind of a spin off of Mad Ventures, which was uh, food focused, and it's still actually a really good show. I think it's people can find it uh, in YouTube. Mm. So Matt Cook, yeah, and I was producing Matt Cook, and I did a one of those first deals where the um, yeah I sold it to TV TV network plus um, phone phone operator. That was kind of a novel thing. <laughs> so I think it was like Sonera and, and MTV. I did this deal. So we got the money and then we did the Matt Cook, which was super fun to do. Um, but then Riku's health was also a bit problematic. I think we had to stop the production in some part and, and uh, we, we continued. And after that, we created this Matt Cook pop-up restaurant, which I think still is the most legendary restaurant in Finland. So we we created like this crazy market, food market, like a food court, food market uh, event mm. for running t- like um, a couple of weeks and it was sold out immediately and the food was, food was really crazy. I mean, you, you ate there grasshoppers and, and, uh, food around the world and 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 um, intestines of the animals like really exotic uh, glo- food around the world that was the idea and you never knew what's going to happen during those uh, evenings okay what year was this uh, i don't know like 20 2012 or something and this is after the show is already a success so mad ventures the finnish tv travel yeah, show. yeah, yeah. it's already a big yeah, success yeah, yeah. and you decided yeah. to create this pop-up restaurant event that was the craziest restaurant helsinki has ever seen <laughs> those who were there know what i'm talking yeah Uh, unfortunately i wasn't one of them okay but what was the reason for doing that like what what did you want to achieve? I think it was like a natural brand extension. We had just done the Matt Cook TV show and uh, we wanted to do an event and explore the food theme more. Mm. So uh, building uh, this amazing food court indoors in Kalasatama. Back mm. then it was really dodgy area with, with uh, mm. not, not as hip as it's now. Mm. And uh, we build up this, uh, like, a restaurant world. Like, also, I remember one picture is in my mind where Anto is holding, like, a gigantic penis of a horse and putting it into a, into a grill and, like, barbecuing. Yeah. <laughs> and then we came to a point where, because of the injury Riku had and also the families, they have the beautiful wives and kids, they were like, okay, we can't travel anymore like mm. we can do these crazy campaigns so there was another moment where where i think where i quite often find myself i'm i'm involved with situations where something needs to evolve or develop further so we we kind of faced the music and and uh, understood that okay the traveling is out and 
we need to come up with completely something completely different. And it was a process which we we then dived in. And one kind of uh, insight was that always when they uh, planned their trips and, and their content, they watched a lot of documentaries. So the idea of Doc Ventures uh, was born. Mm. And it took quite a time to, to kind of sell the idea to Ule because uh, it was something completely new um, to combine like a, the multi-platform approach uh, where we had radio, we had online, we had big Facebook community, we had TV show, we had live TV show, we had uh, pre-recorded TV part of mm. the, in the equation. Plus then we also needed the actual documentaries. So it was a quite a package which um, I built uh, the architecture architecture of it and then Riku and Duna were kind of on top of the content so that was the the first year and then we made the deal uh, with Ule and uh, that was the moment when I got to know wonderful wonderful beautiful friend of mine Elise Pietareva and Elise um, joined the, the the kind of the team and and uh, we were really figuring out what it back then Facebook was kind of um, not used in in a way we started to use it that so we started to build a big community with very very uh, kind of uh, interesting methods and um, I don't know how much how big the Doc Ventures community is now I think it's over 100,000 people mm. but it was really like hands-on building the community and enjoying the every second of it because we we just had so much fun to build this show and collaborate with, with the national broadcasting company, which was completely different culture wise. Mm. Of course, we were like a small production company with a very kind of like a renegade attitude. Yeah. And, and, you know, so we were, now really you had to wear suits. Yeah. Well, no, we are not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we were facing the the kind of rather bureaucratic and, and rigid culture of a big big network and and you know but at the same time we had all the cards in our hands because we had created the whole format and concept and and um so it was a bit of a learning learning curve on both sides <laughs> okay well, and uh yeah yeah so before we continue uh, can you just describe for anyone that doesn't know how would you pitch doc ventures like what is doc ventures yeah so doc ventures is uh it's a tv show where um well-known hosts are curating uh documentaries which are watched together with the audience and uh also together the watching is is done together with the uh with the specialists so often when you when you are you see a very powerful documentary you you know you are, you feel a bit shaken and lost after it so we created this after show idea that um after the documentary is viewed there's a one hour live after show where um specialists are explaining the theme um of of the of the 
chosen documentary of, of, of that evening. And the, the theme of the evening can, that, that continued for the whole week. So the week started with the, with the online activations. Then there was a radio show talking about the theme. And then we went to the actual film. And, and after the film, there was this live, and still is the live uh, after show. Mm. And yeah, it's been running now, I don't know, like 10 years. Mm. Yeah. So it has become a bit of an institution. Yeah. So, uh, and I think this was, again, really on the on the trajectory of, of doing something meaningful. I still remember, and I'm, I'm still very proud we, we founded this documentaries and, and how well it's still going and how important it has become. And like, we got so good feedback, like direct feedback from people all over the country like really heartfelt letters where someone was 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 sharing that, okay, you made me watch my very first documentary in my whole life, and mm. it changed my world. Amazing. So, especially in the in the inlands, in 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 um, in you know far far away in, in the uh, forests of Finland, we really somehow managed to reach the youth, and and they really. Documentaries help them in many ways open their worldview and, and you know, learn about the world in a, in a new way because, you know, it was just packaged so well and, and, and Rico and Tuna have their charisma to, to um, you know, talk to the hearts and minds of people. So, mm. yeah, it's ever since it's been a great, great um, uh, success. That was before popular ideas today which is like viewing together uh, you know like those mm -hmm. reaction videos on youtube or you know people mm, watching documentaries true. together those were yeah they, they were not around when you guys did doc ventures yeah the effect was really weird because we, we didn't plan the, the social television experience like it just happened uh all of a sudden these movie clubs started to pop up around uh na nationwide so there were like uh, people gathering together to watch documentaries. And that was the moment when, because the, the, the challenge with pitching this show to Wiley was, yep. you know, they came up with, with so many, so many answers. Why not? Why this doesn't work? When, when I went in first time into the mothership in Pasadena, <laughs> and, and then there was like a whole list of reasons why this will not work. Yep. I can like, imagine. So there was the first reason was that, okay, youth are not watching TV anymore. Second reason, youth are definitely not watching docu <laughs> documentaries. And, and the list kept, kept just growing. And, and, uh, but in, in after you know, months of, of uh, back and forth, they somehow saw the light <laughs> and uh, believed into the concept and, and, and the rest is history. Yeah. Okay. With all that success, why did you not want to continue with production? Because you moved to founding TubeCon, right? So what, I mean, why did you not want to do another TV show or movies? That's a good question. I made today a big deal of of my my next tv show international one so i don't know it's it's been there and i've always had this dream to do a show in la and 
I'm getting all the time closer to that. But somehow the events took me, events and, and other stuff took me away for a while. So after Doc Ventures and after, you know, working very close by with Elisa Pietarilla uh, together, we, we co-founded Doc Ventures. And then it was such an amazing year. In that year when we launched Doc Ventures, we also launched TubeCon. Can you give me the year? So I think this was like 2014. Okay. Something like that. And um, yeah, so we, after after producing Doc Ventures together with Elise, we somehow saw the rise of the uh, YouTubers in, in internationally and, and Finland. And what made you notice that this mm, YouTube thing was going to be huge? So that actually happened the other way around. I, I received a complete cold call, a phone call from like, a, uh, there was a bunch of, of biggest YouTubers in Finland back then. And some of them still are, mm. and they were kind of collectively calling me for some reason, which I still don't understand why. <laughs> and, and they were like, Hey, we just had a crazy meetup in the market square in Tampere. And we didn't realize that we have this much of friend, uh, fans. Mm. And we got al- almost, we got like uh, floored by the crowds mm. who wanted to uh, meet us. And they were like, okay, we need to do a, like an event yes. for the whole community. And uh, can, you, can you help us? Right. So before that, that you, were not, you were not really aware. You, thanks to the cold call, you, st- you, know, you learned about the YouTube community. Yeah, I mean, of course we were aware. I mean, we worked in TV and we were always pushing the envelope in TV and we knew that the YouTubers are there. And, and we were, I think back then, we were already plotting like, okay, what, what, how we start to work with the YouTubers. But the, 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 um, the, the, they made the call. Mm. So it was, uh, it was an open, open brief, like mm. let, help us to make an event. And, Excellent. And then, because we were working already with Elise uh, um, on Doc Ventures, uh, it was really like mo- most likely Elise was sitting on the other side of the desk, and I said that, "Hey, okay, I got this weird call. There were these Finnish Finnish creators, and actually they were all the biggest ones. And should we should we check this out? And um, I think there we made a really good decision that we realized that we don't know shit about YouTubers mm. and their their uh, dreams. So." We started a very interesting co-creative um, period where we started to run workshops together with the leading YouTubers. We did like a chain of workshops where we we really wanted them to tell us what is a what, what they do, what they dream about, what is like a cool cool event they want to uh, uh, enable, and uh, you know it was really a co-creative. A lot of listening and a lot of uh, co-creative methods where we, in a way, crowd, crowdsourced the idea of TubeCon. Um, I think I came up with the name and then we were like, okay, where are we going to do this event? And we were <laughs> like, well, 
let's let's rent the uh, the the uh, arena. <laughs> why not? So Where else? Crazy, yeah, why not? It was a crazy idea of renting a hockey arena, and and um, the biggest arena in Helsinki. That I think kind of was definitely the right timing. We were a bit too early, but exactly in the right timing when it comes to the the rise of the industry mm. and the first year event i think we had like i don't know 50 to 100 youtubers mm. enrolled we had 5000 visitors we my i took the whole business risk that <laughs> was also crazy mm. um yeah people think i made a lot of money with tubecom but definitely the first year it was like i think we hit the even exactly the even like not not making loss but not making any profits because renting an, an uh, a hockey arena is, is quite expensive shit. but we just believe that okay this is cool let's do it we can take the risk um and then five thousand people appeared it was a success of course a lot of learnings uh first year kind of a pilot thingy and uh then it's Everyone were, you know, more or less happy that okay, let's let's develop this, let's do it again next year, and let's create it into an annual event. Do you do you remember some of the early YouTubers? Do you remember any of the names? Yeah, yeah, they were, you know, all the all the still big big names were there. Etu and and Soiku and Herba and yeah, so all the kind of the original gangsters were there. Who? Do you remember who cold called you to to kick this all off? I I really think it was like them. They were gathered somewhere and they they kept the the phone in the middle of the table and all of them were talking. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. It was so cool. That is cool. Okay, and can you tell me a little bit about how far it spread? Because I know it's now it's in it's not just Finland, is it TubeCon? How many countries is it in? Yeah, so um, eventually, well, before that, going international, I, I worked one year at Ule as a, as a head of TV and online media. So all of a sudden, after working with these uh, independent production companies, building my own ventures, creating mm. TubeCon, creating, creating, you know, Doc Ventures. All of a sudden, I was hired to to um, um, a big network, and I had uh, two hundred people reporting to me. So it was uh, like a huge transition. Mm. And you sold out and, uh, to the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was really. I, I took it. I, I really thought about it a lot. Yeah. And it was um, not an easy decision. So. What happened, uh, we made Elise to become the CEO of, of the uh, Gimme All at the production company of Mad Ventures. And I, I went on and I, I became an executive at YLE. And yeah, it was really a learning curve. I took it as a leadership challenge. Of course, I was too young, too ambitious, too um, inexperienced to have a role like that. But it was, of course, interesting because, you know, I was young. All of a sudden, I got like a proper salary. I had my car. I had a secretary. I had like (laughs) 
200 people as reports. And, and in many ways, it didn't work out. I, mm. I still admire their, um, brave, how brave they were to hire me and, and also um, how well it went, like, you know, when I resigned, mm. that um, it was a clear kind of a bit over one-year test that is, is there a way to bring in an outsider to, into an executive position like that? And I had the pleasure to work with an amazing mentor. Um, Esa Sarinen was my mentor throughout the, the, the executive year at Ule and, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of learnings. But in the end, Esa made me do a list like my fuck up list, like w- which areas I fucked up. And I got, I think I made like a list of eight things I, I fucked up. <laughs> and uh, that served me as a great, great learning. And I'm still very grateful about the opportunity. But I would say there was uh, um, the culture, cultural clash was too big. I mean, uh, I completely understand. Yeah, the bureaucracy. I'm really bad with bureaucracy. And, and, uh, I just want to do cool novel things and and make make fast fast um, growth and changes. So, okay, for me it was cool, cool the, to learn. Yeah, really, really good point. And I've experienced the exact same thing. Um, having been an independent producer and director, I got a job in television and in the UK, and I know what that's like. So let me ask you, if you are a big, a large corporation, look at it from their side, right? If you're a large corporation and you want to bring in some of that energy, some of that youthful, you know, kind of entrepreneurial spirit, mm. how do you do it? Because yeah, I think, you know, what's the right way to do it? Because like you said, they wanted to, they were brave to bring you in. And I had the exact experience, uh, the company that I worked for, they were really brave to bring me in because I didn't fit mm. with with the way they currently work. But it told mm. me that they want to try something new. So now let's flip the tables. On the other side, what should you do? If you're a large corporation with lots of bureaucracy and you want to bring in some of that energy, what's the right mm. way to do it? If I would know it, I would maybe quite wealth wealthy person i think you know i've seen it all i've been there myself as a young um you know young leader uh with a completely different mindset than the organization has so i i kind of i can talk from the experience Mm. um you know it's like water and, and oil they don't mix so um you know there's been so many tries of building you know, startup incubators and uh, hiring um, hiring young leaders. And, um, you know, you, you just need to have that corporate blood running in you and, and the kind of career-driven mindset. Then, then you're all good. But if you are, you know, entrepreneur, you will end up to a point where you are like the cultural differences between a big corporate and, and you as a founder or entrepreneur uh, there will be a clash mm. and and maybe in tech it's it's different in tech you know if you mm-hmm. get a, uh, acquired by a facebook or google uh, quite often the the transition actually works and you know it's a cultural thing 
And uh, unfortunately, the big companies really miss a lot uh, when it comes to succeeding to to kind of um, getting that that energy and, and mindset into their own running in their own veins, sort of. Do you think it's too simple to say if you're going to try to merge two different cultures, isn't it just a matter of patience? You can't experiment for six months or one year. Maybe you have to be a mm. little bit more patient and give it more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So if I'm Definitely. if I'm an eighty year old company, right? Because it doesn't count if it's Facebook, like you said, because Facebook is ten, fifteen years old. But if I'm a eighty or a hundred year old institution like mm. Ule, and if I want to change, if I want to bring in some new ideas, then I can't just bring in some young maverick for six months. I have to. Give it a little mm. bit more time and more patience. Do you think yeah. that's too simplified? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And then I would say it's really about the leadership of the 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 uh, big company. Absolutely. Like what kind of what kind of um, environment the leadership creates? So um, unfortunately, uh, often in legacy companies, the the leadership is not really um, you know, they have so much to lose and they are protective instead of um, um, being, you know, attacking and, and being innovative and pushing the boundaries. So eventually it really boils down to the, the sea level and the kind of uh, what kind of mindset the company has and how they, cha- they want to challenge the, the uh, future. But that being said, I think in fashion, it actually works because fashion is so fast paced and, and really like driven by innovation that mm. young, young designers are actually, um, yeah, it's a different dynamic there. And young designers are actually looking to get their um, um, years in big fashion houses. And they they kind of collect those uh, you know positions as a, as a highly valued uh, achievement. So if you are like a creative director at at uh, Gucci or or uh, Mon- or you know Moncler for a couple of years, that's amazing achievement for your uh, in your CV. Mm. So um, <laughs> yeah, you just made me th- yeah you you just made me think yeah fa- it's a good point. Fashion is probably an industry where the opposite is true, where mm. old people are discriminated against because they yeah. value youth so much that yeah. you know if you're over a certain age, then you won't get in. <laughs> your your yeah. ideas are not valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, it all boils down to the leadership and the CEO. So you know, if if I would receive now a call from Richard Branson and and he would ask me that, okay, do you want to work with me? I would say yes, because you know, it's really about what kind of spirit and and mindset the the leader has, and that that is uh, spread into the company, regardless the age of the company or the industry. Yes. So the lesson here is. Improve yourself, develop yourself, right? Because if if you're the kind of leader that wants to that wants to improve your company, start with yourself. Make yourself the best leader you can be. Yeah, 
I think that that applies to everything in life. You know, it's personal or or professional leadership. It's always like that. You you need to reinvent and become the better version of yourself. Yeah, definitely. That applies everywhere. And I, but I think it's worth repeating because even though it's so obvious, most of us fall into the trap of looking at others. How can I change this person? How can I make this person change to fit this and too few of us very little of us look at ourselves and say how can i improve me yeah i mean it's you know our brains are built in a way that we we don't want to take risks you know the brain is a wonderful machine preventing you to get hurt and and uh, you know it prevents you to take risks yep and actually when when you learn or you take risk or something something unpredictable happen you are outside from your comfort zone and your brain is is uh, panicking they you know there is the you know then the reptile brain comes in and and you're like uh, in the fight or flight mode and uh, you want to get back into your cushy nice comfort zone and 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 uh, you know developing is actually against the brain yeah so <laughs> and, true and, uh, so simple yes. but we, yeah. and we all know it but we forget it yeah it's that simple yeah 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 and it's it's easier you know you, you know you especially when you when you reach certain corporate ladder and you have a nice salary and uh and uh, kind of yeah. everything is set yeah it's nice nice to just you know enjoy the ride and, yes and there's no motivation to change exactly so but yeah Okay. That's why I pre I prefer to to you know always find myself into a company of of uh, rebels, change makers, and and uh, ambitious executives who are challenging themselves. Yeah, the same. And the the way I describe it is learning. So mm. it's not just about being a rebel, right? Because most sixteen year olds are rebels, and it's not just about just changing. For me, it's about learning. Like, is mm. are you fifty years old and still excited about learning? Mm. And I think that's the key. Like we we learning all. Whereas what you talked about before with these legacy companies and you know CEOs that think they want to change, but when change comes, they don't really accept it. It's because they're not their learning mode is not on. They're not. They've forgotten how to learn. Yeah, I think that's one, and then. We are always limited by our fears and beliefs, so they are pretty much those only two things keep us at the bay: the fears Excellent. and beliefs. I love it. I love it. Basics. Okay, so let's bring us, uh, bring us to today in twenty twenty one. What are you up to? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting times. Uh, I live between Helsinki and Amsterdam. Um, taking TubeCon International really made me travel a lot more than, you know, I had always traveled a lot, but then, then I really got to know Europe well. Uh, we extended the event network to five different countries. I hands-on produced a big arena-sized event in, in Madrid, in mm. Spain. And... Um, during those times, I I met my uh, future wife, 
and uh, she's Romanian. And we had actually the privilege to choose our city. So mm. we, we, we lived in an airplane for one year and uh, then we, you know, we, we got to a point where we're like, okay, now we need to uh, settle down and mm. which city we, let's see, which city we pick. And uh, we both wanted to, to, to uh, establish ourselves in a city that was new for both of us. So we, we, we didn't want it to move into Bucharest or Helsinki. And then we were between, between Hel- uh, Berlin and Amsterdam. And then the vibe of the Amsterdam uh, really won. Mm. And uh, we, we settled uh, to Amsterdam. And ever since uh, I've been between Helsinki and Amsterdam. And um, yeah, it was a great decision because it was also, again, like a complete jump out of the comfort zone, rediscovering a new city. Um, I was really done with doing things in Finland. I wanted to um, uh, focus in international stuff. And um, um, there were a lot of, lot of uh, dreams to be chased. And um, yeah, then... Um, well, tell me about think- the, the crazy idea of founding two travel companies in the middle of a pandemic yeah well i would say there's one thing i haven't shared yet but we actually we are founding three travel companies <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. all right why so, three uh, and what are they about so three travel companies have born the first one is called doyan and doyan.fi is is um, a company a travel agency uh, for v- virtual traveling. So through a joint friend, uh, Mikko Lesti introduced me and the, the CEO, uh, Neil Okervinen, and um, we started to explore the opportunity. Nilo had been working eight years as um, a tourist guide in Lapland. He speaks fluent Japanese, even though he's a Finnish guy, but he speaks like a native level Japanese. And he had came up with the idea to um, start to serve Japanese tourists uh, through Zoom calls mm. and do like a virtual traveling um, in Lapland with this niche Japanese audience. And I, I found it hilarious and interesting and, and potential. So then I brought in um, a third co-founder, um, Tuomas Vuori, and um, we together have now uh, built the built the uh, kind of a minimum viable product. Uh, Nilo's been working with it already, like before uh, we came in. But now I think there's like a bit over two hundred Japanese tourists uh, served on the on the platform, hmm. and and they are the Japanese clients are crazy about it. Like <laughs> it just works. the The retention is is uh, like crazy high. The trips are like 25 euros and Nilo is hands-on hosting them. Uh, and, and the experience takes the uh, Japanese uh, tourist um, from the comfort of, of their homes to, to travel uh, via Zoom video call to, to all the way to Lapland. And uh, they experience the exactly same things that they would experience uh, if they would travel um, physically here. So um, um, they, you know, 
they just they feed their reindeers, they see the northern lights, they try out sauna and swimming in ice hole <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and it's it's obviously in the very early beginning, and but the numbers and and the interest in Japan uh, is very promising. So it's just it's a startup in the pre-seed phase, and that's only one out of three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So can you quickly take me through the other two? Yeah. So the the second one is is um, I'm I'm collaborating with this Finnish uh, professional explorer Pata Dekerman. And uh, he's a very uh, prolific uh, explorer, and then has done multiple trips to um, both north, um, like a polar exploration, uh, polar explorations at the North Pole, as well as Antarctica and Himalayas and whatnot. He's a very interesting dude, and uh, together with Pata, we've we've created this um, a new venture called um, Expedition Greenland, and that's. Uh, if the doyen doyan is like a ma- mass market, this is like high, highly like a premium mm. um, pre- premium offering. So we host uh, five to seven uh, people, and we train them for six months before the uh, actual trip to Greenland. And this and, is a uh, physical trip, an actual yeah, trip. This okay. is this is an actual trip for uh, wealthy individuals who want to. Uh, push push their boundaries and exp- experience the kind of uh, what it means to be a professional team member of an uh, uh, explorer group in uh, extreme conditions wow. in Greenland, where wow. you know you we train them to also um, you know to survive, to climb, oh, to to make make food, and also there there's this. Um, um, training to use rifle because the polar bears are there. So we don't go to hunt them, but it's just like a you have to safety safe for because of safety reasons. You have to be also able to hand, handle the uh, the rifle. Amazing! Wow. Yeah. Okay, and then the third one. Yeah. So then the third one. Um, I had the privilege to uh, visit uh, Davos World Economic Forum in in uh, uh, last time, and I was there with my German client. And there, I met um, the I faced the the weird moment where I didn't see any Finns around. So <laughs> Davos is a it's an interesting event. It's um it's actually the the best possible uh, networking event in europe uh when it comes to if you are an international business so um uh there i was with um friend and and nowadays colleague janna together with with uh, janna we were like where are all the fins we saw only few fins like alex Stub was walking on the street and <laughs> and and there were like of course the the political the prime minister was, was there and and she was like the talk of the town, but uh, you know Finland completely missed the opportunity to to uh, leverage that. And uh, we were just basically hanging in the network events organized by Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. Mm. And uh, Jan Salokan, she was working for the royal family of Norway, and I had my German client there. And we were like, come on, this can't be like this. We need to do something. And now we are. Um, we are still under the radar and we are not public yet, but the I can share 
share that uh, we are building um, the Finnish official delegation uh, and we are kind of uh, with the vision to start to organize and, and uh, um, coordinate the Finnish, um, Finnish uh, presence in the Davos World Economic Forum. Um, and we are, we are organizing a turnkey um, community-driven way to uh, get to Davos. And in the core of it, we have a concept where we take eight young entrepreneurs or leaders to, to the event. So um, these young, young guns and the change makers will be sponsored by the um, uh, major Finnish companies. And slowly but steadily, we are cooking up this community of, um, of uh, internationally minded uh, business people who will then start this annual tradition. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, so let me recap. So three startups, uh, a platform for Japanese tourists to visit Lapland, and then what? A, kind of a, a, um, a travel company taking five to seven specific visitors to Greenland and mm-hmm. guiding them through everything that's required. And then a way to improve Finnish Finnish presence at the World Economic Forum. Yeah. So (laughs) those... (laughs) I don't know, how do you you manage all of that? And that's still your part-time job because you still do the business coaching. Yeah, so... You know, when you when you get more experienced, you 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 know the ways, and you you have the network, and all these uh, ventures. I'm a co-founder, so I've learned my lessons. You've learned um, to delegate. Yes, so no more lonely wolf anymore. Mm. So the, those days are over, and and you know, I don't need to have the the kind of big role in these ventures i'm enjoying that i'm part of them and quite often i'm the initiator and i i kind of connect the people and the dots but i i necessarily don't have the uh biggest ownership of of the venture so okay yeah it's it's all about collaboration and and, and making meaningful things yeah i like that because i always have that question for myself i'm one of those people who who's always juggling multiple projects. But like you said, the key is collaboration and figuring out that you don't want to be the lone wolf. You can't handle everything yourself. But as soon as you get a partner or multiple partners, everything multiplies, like the output multiplies and the responsibility reduces, even though that doesn't sound like a positive thing, but it requires less energy. Two plus two is more than four. For sure, for sure, and yeah, and of course, when you when you keep busy and you succeed now and then, you start to create a bit of a resource as well. So uh, I've been in a in a um, lucky position that I can also invest to get these uh, small small startups and ideas uh, on the right track, and uh, then that you know that that's the kind of entrepreneurial portfolio thinking kicks in to kind of build build a diverse um like a greenhouse where i have uh, multiple multiple interesting um startups and and uh, ventures growing and 
hopefully they will you know get stronger and and meet more like-minded people and and uh, you know grow into their full bloom mm. okay so before we finish can you quickly tell us a little bit about how we started which was is it omega leader like your coaching business so mm -hmm. what do you do um what kind of clients do you serve yeah so i always been like a coach on demand so i always uh, being there if someone has asked to to receive coaching i've been always um uh, uh, giving but i never wanted to put myself too much uh, forth to to serve coaching so uh, a year ago i was in a point where i had some time in the christmas and i started to kind of uh, doodle and 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 make a list of of uh, exercises that i found profound myself personally in linked to my uh, personal growth mm. so um you know, I've I've worked with so many coaches, mentors, uh, spiritual teachers, business uh, uh, mentors. Uh, I've been very lucky to to connect with uh, you know world leading people in in different um, in, in different industries, and uh, I guess I I've been always curious to to ask their secrets and learn, and uh, of course I've also invested in my own mentors and, and uh, coaches. So I eventually had like a moment where I, I started to make a list of, of uh, exercises that, that have made a difference for myself. Mm -hmm. And when I had like 50 pages of, of this, this, this small workbook, I realized that, man, I, I just can't sit on this. I want, mm -hmm. to, I want to give them to the world. And I made a very kind of... Um, humble ask in facebook that would someone be interested if i would offer my coaching and boom i was sold out so interesting so you asked your friends yeah i just you know i just posted in my my feed and all of a sudden i had like six clients and then i had to start to think like okay well i need a home page and i i need to somehow you know um, price this and I need to build a system and um, I started to finalize the workbook which is still at the core of, of my service so I, I I always offer the like a bit over 100 pages of, of a very um, tested and, and battle battle hardened um, um, exercises for so for self-development that they work as a as a core of my my coaching. So, um, yeah, and then it, it started to evolve and I've been very lucky to work with the very, very interesting people who are usually, uh, they are in the middle of um, launching something new or, or, or they, they are um, in a phase where they need to propel to next level. So um, um, I've worked with uh, founders, entrepreneurs, executives, um, also, like a national uh, level athletes and a world touring um, talents and musicians and whatnot, and the the clientele is getting all the time more international. And um, yeah, there are very, of course, I I can't talk about my clients, but uh, 
it, it starts to be rather rather interesting community of um, high net worth individuals and and um, um, you know executives, um, creatives, um, entrepreneurs. So working with this this level of um, professionals is is actually keeping me very um, yeah it, it keeps me all the time more curious and and all the time more informed and all the time more excited about the potential that we all have do you notice a difference between successful people and less successful people in the way they approach coaching so the way they see how they need the need for coaching mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the people who are willing to um, invest in coaching, they are usually they belong to the group of of um, people who are more the kind of uh, lifelong learner mindset, and um, they they see coaching as an investment, and even the price can be high. They see that okay, this is just like uh, six months or three months, and then the coaching helps the person to unlock the next level and there you 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 usually at least among my clients they they multiply their return of investment like 10x or 100x so um it's it's really magical what happens and you know it's very humane the change really requires another so it's really hard to change alone so um, I think coaching is amazing. We are called to to uh, especially if a person is very motivated to to really uh, get that energy and to to right right direction and um, uh, really familiar familiarize yourself with your own potential and also understand the the you know the blocks that are um, keeping you at the bay, which are usually you know just two of them. And it's it's the the fears and the beliefs are actually only only limiting factors in our life. So when you get over them and you familiarize with them and you start to um, you can use them as a, as a tool and and an accelerator for your own personal growth. That that's the fun moment when you 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 jump out from your comfort zone and you start to learn and you start to uh, try out things and and all of a sudden you are in a completely new new trajectory and and then a new kind of a field where you your income is multiplying and your uh, kind of the joy of life is is um, um, you know inspiring not only yourself but others as well yeah yeah, I like that. And I agree. I think the first step is recognizing that you need an external voice. Right? The voice in your head will never bring any change in you. You need to hear it from somewhere outside your head. So that's why I, I value coaching. And just to hear somebody else say it, even though you already know it, to hear somebody else say it will have such a huge impact yeah yeah i mean that's that's pretty much the essence you as a coach i help my clients to uh create more awareness first of all 
like really understand themselves better and and usually that's where the mirror is needed and and you you really um you can discover uh, a lot of things in a, in a rather short time and then it's about do you believe that like do you really align with those findings and then will you start to work uh with them and uh, you know high performers understand that it's not the you know you need to work with your weaknesses it's not about optimizing your your uh, strengths but it's all about actually tackling your weaknesses and really taking them seriously and gradually um, transform them and work with with them of course you know you can build a lot by by putting your strengths forth and and, and building on them but uh, that true high performance starts from from uh, being very aware of your weaknesses and and creating strategies uh, how to improve or or delegate yeah cool so just to end what weaknesses do you try to improve in yourself or do you have any <laughs> personal mottos that you live by right now that's a good question um i try every single day i try to um work with my impatience so oh i love that yeah so you know i've done a lot of meditation yes i think my my biggest achievement in my life is is still the the kind of uh, uh my routine to go to and attend to these 10 day meditation retreats um now and then awesome so you know for me I'm, patience I'm is really... everything i patience is <laughs> everything i completely yeah. connect with that yeah yeah so because i have the ability to see the opportunities and kind of um be ahead of my time yeah. and, and um build stuff that uh is is kind of you know i build things from the future so um i i need to work with the uh, you know my pa- patience <laughs> and and rooting myself to this this beautiful moment of here and now and and that's that's obviously the best place awesome risto thank you so much i really enjoyed speaking with you thank you brother this was fun i i think i never shared the full story in this detail so uh, this was fun reflection for me as well all right that was risto gulasma please visit marketinghelsinki.com for more conversations with experts from inside and outside finland sharing personal and business philosophies i'm tanley thanks for listening and join me again next time